verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful this morning. We are grateful for the opportunity to gather together to hear your word. Father, we do pray that through this time together that you will increase our faith, our, our trust in you, our trust in your promises. Lord, that we will, by faith, embrace them wholeheartedly and it will change who we are. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Many of us have a hard time believing the promises of others. This is especially true when it comes to politicians. Why? Why can't we believe them? It's really easy, isn't it? They lie. They lie to us. They say things that they don't intend to do. They don't deliver on their promises. They give empty promises that in the end mean nothing. In 2013, a British paper called The Telegraph published an essay titled, Dear Politicians, We Just Don't Believe You Anymore. And in that essay, it said that fewer than one in five, 18% of the population trust the government to do what's right for the people as opposed to what's right for their political party. 
In contrast, back in 1987, 26 years earlier, about half, 47% of the population was prepared to trust the government. In fact, it stated that more than 80% of the population now trust government, quote, only some of the time or almost never. This isn't true just for the UK, it's also true for America. In fact, a, a, a North Waker, it's no, nobody here, but somebody who's, who's flung out, put this on Facebook last week. Quote, it annoys me how politicians lie. You can tell they lie because their lips are moving. I don't trust them anymore. That's how we feel. Should we trust them? No. By their actions, they, by their record, they, they fail to inspire trust and confidence in us. You see, sometimes I think we bring that sort of skepticism into the church and even apply it to the promises of God. And here's why that's a big problem. As a Christian, our hope, our motivation, our obedience is in direct proportion to the amount that we trust in God's promises. If we don't trust in God's promises, we're not likely to obey him. We're not likely to follow him. As a matter of fact, I would say this is probably one of the most important issues of the life of a Christian. We don't obey because we simply don't believe. And so this morning, we're going to look at God's word and receive encouragement from those who went before us to trust God in his promises. So this morning, we want to look at faith, especially as it relates to God's promises. If you were paying attention as I read the, the, the text for this morning, the word promise occurred five times. In addition, you have words like inheritance, which is a, a, a promise to receive something in the future, or the word heir, who, the person who receives that promise, or the word blessing, which is the passing on of the promise from one generation to another. So here's the main point of, of the message today. It's very simple. God calls us to trust to obey and to await his promises, even when we don't see them fully realized in our lifetime. God calls us to trust, obey, and await his promises. So first of all, true faith trusts in God's promises. True faith trusts in God's promises. Now let's, let's review what we, mean, what we mean by trust. Trust or to believe in or to have faith in something. Just to remind you, I like Carson's definition. I found it helpful last week. He said, faith is not a blind or irrational belief, but it is the conviction that allows you to hold on to what you already know to be true, even in the face of pressure and doubt. You remember that definition? You see, faith includes three components. There's knowledge, there's assent, and there's trust. And these three build on one another. Knowledge is merely receiving information. You know something. Assent is 
believing or affirming that information is true. But trust is resting in that information for yourself, banking on it. Spurgeon says, this is a, in a sermon he preached entitled Faith. He gives this illustration. He says, suppose a child in the upper room of a house and the people gathered in the street. A child is in the upper story. How is he to escape? He cannot leap down. That were to be dashed to pieces. But a strong man comes beneath and cries, drop into my arms. He says, it is part of faith to know that the man is there knowledge. He says, it is another part to believe that the man is strong. That's assent. He says, but the essence of faith lies in the dropping down into the man's arms. Trust. He says, that is the proof of faith and the real essence of it. We're, we're not talking, and, and Carson did a great job explaining this last week, but I just want to reiterate it and emphasize it again. We're not talking about blind faith. You, do you know what blind faith is? It's believing in something that doesn't have the power to deliver on its promise. That's blind faith. I read of the story last week, a, a skydiver by the name of Ian McGuire, April 5th, 1988. You know where it took place? Lewisburg, North Carolina. Ian McGuire was, was, was a skydiver who was uh, filming those who, the instructor and a first time diver. And so they, they, they got aboard the airplane, went up over 10,000 feet, and, the, and first the, the filmer go, jumps out and he had a backpack on with a, with a special helmet that was voice activated that would, would film the instructor and the, the, sky, and the first time diver. And so he jumps out of the airplane, he's filming, he's filming them as they, as they jump for a few seconds, I don't know how long you have, doesn't seem like it's that long, you're falling pretty quickly. And then he goes to grab the ripcord and realizes it's not there. You see, in his busyness to get things ready to film, he forgot to put on his parachute. And tragically, he fell to his death. Nothing could save him, for his faith was in a parachute that wasn't there. You see, no matter how sincerely somebody believes in something, if it's, if it's in something that can't, that doesn't have the ability to help them, faith is useless. Sincerity is not sufficient. You see, the key isn't that we believe something, it's in what or in whom we believe. Faith doesn't save, God saves. And so faith is a wholehearted trust in the one who is able to deliver on his promises. And so true faith trusts, it affirms God's promises. That's what we see with Abraham, but it was by faith that he lived in the land of promise as a foreigner. Look at verse nine. God calls him to go, and he goes, and it says that he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham was a sojourner, in the land of promise. 
It was his, but he didn't quite have it. He received it, but it wasn't his because it says in Genesis 12, 6, at that time the Canaanite were in the land. And so there he was, living as a foreigner in the land that God had given to him. That took faith, it took trust. It was like he was living in a foreign land. I don't know if you've ever been to a foreign country. I have, with my family, we were missionaries in Malaysia for more than seven years. And we felt what it was like to live as a foreigner. Every 90 days, we had to pack our suitcases and we had to leave the country. We didn't have to pack everything we owned, but we had to, we had to leave. And then we had to renew our visas by coming back in again. Every 90 days. And we couldn't just go to a bank and open a bank account. We couldn't buy, if we wanted to, we couldn't buy land or any house on land. And there's Abraham living in a land of promise. God had promised it to him, but he had to live in tents as a foreigner. It was his, he just didn't possess it. I was trying to think about what this would be like and imagine somebody, a relative, leaves you a house as an inheritance. And you go and you, you, you go to this place, it's a, it's, a, it's a really nice house. So you're like, hey, I'm gonna go ahead and move there, it's mine. But you get there and you realize that their family, of some strange family is living there. And so you, it's your house, but you have to live in a tent in the front yard. And there was Abraham in the land that God had promised him, but by faith believing that someday it would fully be his. So it was lands. It was also this, this child that God gave them. God promised them not only the land, but a, a child. And we see in verse 11 that Sarah believed in God's promise to conceive a child. It says, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised this took faith. You know the story. You know that Sarah was 90 years old, past the age of childbearing. It says in, in Genesis 18:11 that Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. And yet we know that even in the midst of that, God was faithful and gave them a child, Isaac. And eventually, it says in Deuteronomy 10:22. Several generations later, of course, but it says, your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. And so we read in verse 12, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. God was faithful, even though it was humanly impossible. It says that he was as good as dead, but apparently he was only mostly dead. <laughs> His body was partially dead. God made it alive. And so God blessed them with the land, kind of, not fully. That would come. Bless them with a child, but then something happened. God 
says to Abraham to sacrifice this child. And so we see it was by faith that, that he believed that God could resurrect his child. Look at verse 17 through 19. It says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. God put Abraham to the test. Now, in our passage, it just says he was tested. But in Genesis 22, it says God tested Abraham. So Abraham was conflicted. Isaac was the promised son. It wasn't Ishmael. It was Isaac. Abraham would be the father of many nations, but it was through Isaac. And yet God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. Lord, um, I mean, I'm, there had to have been some struggle there. How can both be true? The, perhaps there's only one way is that a resurrection must take place if he goes through with this. And so Abraham believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. And we see this evidence even in, in Genesis 22 verse 5. It says, the boy and I will go over, this is what he tells the servants. So Abraham says, the boy and I will go over there to worship, then we will come back to you. And so verse 19 says that he believed that God was able to raise him even from the dead. He committed in his mind, in his heart, to sacrifice his child, but he knew that God would do this, why? because he knew that God was faithful to his word, to his promises. Brothers and sisters, we need to trust God. In order to trust God, we, you know, you don't trust people you don't know. You don't. He's like, I don't know this person. Someone comes to your door, who is this? I'm not gonna answer the door. I don't, I don't trust this person. If we don't know the God of the Bible, how are we to trust him? Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without, favor, without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. Do you know the one who is faithful? Do you know the one who has promised these things? He is the God of the Bible. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt and brought them to the promised land. The God who chose David to be king of Israel and promised him an everlasting reign. The God who raised up prophets to remind the people of God's faithfulness and their need to obey his covenant. The God who humbled himself in Jesus Christ and who became sin for us. Who suffered in our place and he rose again from the dead. The God who revealed himself to you through his word and through the spirit and who saved you and gave you hope and peace and will never leave you nor forsake you, who has been with you in the darkest of times, who promises that he is for you and not against you, won't let anything separate you from his love, who promises that if we come to him that he will give us rest, 
This is the God we trust. We must remember the one we are trusting. We must know him. Because it's only then can we look to him for strength. You see, if we look to ourselves, if we look to others, we're certain that we will fail and fall. It says that with Sarah, she did what? In verse 11, she considered him faithful who promised. Abraham, in verse 19, considered God. They thought about God and his promises and his faithfulness. We need to look to God. The author of Hebrews, as Daniel even pointed out already this morning, chapter 12, verse 2, that we are to look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Notice, this comes after chapter 11, this this great hall of faith, the heroes of the faith. And then the author says, "There, there they are, cheering us on, look to Jesus. Not look to them. They're pointing to Jesus. There's a well-known picture, a portrait, a painting of Martin Luther preaching. And as you can see here, as he's preaching, what is he doing? He's directing the congregation's attention to Jesus. You see, that's the point of, of chapter 11. Look to Jesus. He's encouraging the original audience who are struggling to forsake Jesus. He says, Jesus is greater. Don't go back. Look to him This great cloud of witnesses are pointing us to something greater. And the one who is greater is Jesus. You see, this cloud of witnesses, they, they didn't have a perfect faith. Abraham was prone to lie. Sarah laughed at the promises of God. Jacob was a deceiver. The key is not the size of our faith, but the size of our God. Trust in the promises of God. Second, true faith obeys the promises of God. Not just trusts the promises of God, but obeys the promises of God. That is, true faith obeys God in the light of his promises, in light of his promises. True faith not only trusts, it obeys. I mean, can you really have one without the other? Isn't obedience the mark of authentic faith? Do I really believe something if I'm not willing to obey that thing? James tells us that what faith without works is dead. Now they are different. Faith is the root and obedience is the fruit. But yet they're inseparable. Read of a story of a famous tightrope walker. You may have heard of him. The late 19th century. He was a Frenchman by the name of Jean-Francois Gravelet. I know a couple of French words, but I've been practicing on these all week. <laughs> he was also known as, his American name was Charles Blondin. He is most famously known for being the first person to tightrope across Niagara Falls. He did this first in, on June 30th, 1859, before 100,000 people. The rope was 1,100 feet long. On one side, it was elevated 160 feet above the falls. On the other side, it was 270 feet 
above the falls. In his career, he went across 17 times. Each time he went across, he would do something more dangerous, more awe-inspiring. So maybe the first time he went across holding the, 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 the balancing stick, or that big long pole they, they, they have. And of course, not like the modern version where there was a safety harness and all that. No, there was, there was no, no safety net. Of course, there's no net down there. Um, but you can imagine the, the wind and the, and the water. And every time he went across, it would, it would be, it'd be more dangerous. So he went across with a balancing pole. He went across on stilts. He went across blindfolded. One time he put a stove in his backpack, walked to the middle, took out the stove, cooked an omelet, ate the omelet, and then continued on. One time he brought a chair. He balanced the chair on the rope, and then he stood on the chair that was on the rope. Imagine, he, imagine that he went to his manager and said, do you think I could take someone across? You think the manager would say, oh, sure, I'm sure you could take, I mean, you've done harder things than that. I mean, that sounds pretty hard, but I, certainly you could do that. No, do you really think I could take someone across? Yeah, I think you could do that. What if he said, well, how about I take you across? What do you think he would say? You see, if he really believed what he, that, he would be the first one to volunteer. Well, on August 17th, 1859, he carried his manager across on his back. I don't know how he did it. True faith, true belief leads to obedience. Abraham obeyed God. How is it that Abraham was willing to go to this foreign land that God had promised him? He trusted God, and because of that, he was willing to obey We read in Genesis chapter 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Go, Abraham. And it says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Would he obey God? There there are no guarantees. God gave him a promise. That's all he had to go on. You know, I think it would have been very easy for Abraham to come up with some some somewhat valid excuses. Uh, I've, I've never been there. He says he, he, didn't, he didn't know about it. It's, it's too far. I'm too old. All my family lives here. I could minister best among my own people. But it says Abraham left not knowing where he was going. Verse 8 says, by faith Abraham obeyed. You see, he trusted in God's promises, so he obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. His trust in God led to obedience. And it was also by faith that Abraham obeyed God by offering up his only son. How is it that he was willing to offer up his only son? He first trusted in God's promises. God would fulfill his promises. He didn't know how. As a matter of fact, that was God's problem to figure out. He obeyed. He trusted. Now it says he offered up his only son. Was Isaac his only son? Well, 
it was the only son of promise. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. But he knew God's character, and he knew that God had promised, and he obeyed. His trust led to obedience. And it says in verse 17 that he offered up Isaac. Well, he didn't go through the act, but in his heart, he had committed to do this. But we read in Genesis 22, verse 12, the angel of the Lord stops him. He says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God provided, you know the story, God provided a ram caught by his horns in the bushes, a substitute which now we know this was a, a type, a, a foreshadowing of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the one and only son of God. But what was for Abraham a test became a reality for God the Father. Are you willing to obey God's call even when it is difficult? Could be to go to a foreign land, to to be willing to leave family and friends and favorite restaurants. To be willing to sacrifice something that is near and dear to your heart. But we're so good sometimes at, at coming up with excuses to delay our obedience. I think one of, the, one of the best excuses that we have is this one. It's not the right time. It, it, it's, it's coming, I'm, soon I'm going to be doing something, but right now it's not the right time. I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm in school, I have small children, I don't have a lot of money, I have a small apartment or a small house, I don't have a lot of time. It's, it's just not, you know what? It's never the right time. There's always going to be something that's gonna come up. You know, I've heard, I've heard people say, well, I, you know, I can't really be a small group leader my, 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 my apartment is, is really small. I just, you know, I'm, I'm in school. Um, we have a tiny apartment. Just wouldn't, wouldn't work out. You know what? Something happened to us, my family, uh, last week, which rarely, almost never happens, and it's this. Somebody invited us over for dinner. And praise God, you know, he, you know the wife gets a, gets a, a night off, so... Uh, so we, we said yes. You know, somebody invites you over for dinner, you say yes. You know what? They're students. They have three small children. They live in a tiny seminary apartment. They've been struggling with health issues, finances. But you know what? They did it anyway. We had delicious, I mean delicious homemade pizza and breadsticks a fantastic Caesar salad and ice cream with fudge on top. I remember all of it. Of course, it was only last week, so. I wish that we had more families in our congregation which say, so what that my house isn't big? So what that it's not perfectly clean? I need to obey God and serve people to exercise my gifts of hospitality, to bless other people, to encourage them, invite them into your homes. It's never the right time. 
It's not a good excuse. We might say it's not the right, it's not the right place. Listen, if God is calling you, it is the right place. I'm sure Abraham wondered about God's leading, going to a different country with a different language and different foods that's far away. And he had a large family. Think of the logistics of that. Or we might say, another excuse is it, it, it's too costly. It, that's, too, that's too radical. God, God would never ask me to do something so difficult or costly. Really? What, what did Jesus say in Luke 9, 23? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That sounds pretty radical. And isn't that what Jesus did himself? That he left his rightful place at the Father's right hand in heaven and came to earth? That he denied himself and became a servant that he obeyed the voice of the Father and said, not my will be done, but yours. And he died on the cross for our sins. Is there really anything too costly and radical that we can do in response to that? True faith trusts in God's promises and it obeys God as a result. But then finally, true faith awaits God's promises. I almost feel like I could just close in prayer right now, and some of you would say, please, you know, um, I'm not going to take a, uh, you know, ask for a show of hands. But Daniel emphasized this already, and rightly so, that true faith awaits God's promises, that this life is not all there is. There's something more. And we see this with the example of Abraham as he awaited a heavenly city. Verse 10 He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. You see, his hope was in heaven, a new heaven and a new earth, not in anything in this life. Even if he had received the land and there were no Canaanites in it, there was still something he was longing more than the land of Canaan, something greater. That was a type that pointed to something better. He was looking for a better city whose maker and builder is God, a perfect, indestructible city. But it wasn't just Abraham. It was, it was all the patriarchs, right? Verse 13, it says, these all died in faith. And I think there he's talking about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, God promised it to them. They died. They didn't have it yet fully. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And then verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. They continued to trust in God's promises even until death. These all died in faith. True faith endures to the end. It, it doesn't demand or even expect to have all the answers in this life. It continues even when the future is uncertain. 
knowing that God will certainly make all things right. True faith doesn't, it doesn't receive everything. It holds on even when we don't have all the answers. It says that they saw God's promises afar off. They, 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 they got part of it. Abraham was in the land, but he didn't have the land. He didn't possess the land. He had a child, but he was not yet the father of many nations. And so it says they looked to a better country. I think the problem with many of us is that we have stopped looking. We've become so content with this life that we've stopped longing for something greater. It says that they, they've, they longed for this. They hoped for it. Tom Schreiner says, since the patriarchs longed for a heavenly homeland and city and heaven is the residence of God, it is evident that they longed for God more than they desired any of the things in this world. When they desired a, a heavenly homeland, it's because that's where God was and they longed to be with him. And we also see that true faith awaits the fullness of God's promises. And we see this in the testimony of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau, his two sons. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So we see it was by faith, the end of their lives, that both Isaac and Jacob blessed their descendants. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, his children, and Jacob blessed the two sons of Joseph, his grandchildren, Ephraim and Manasseh. What does this mean? It means that they were confident in God's promises. When it says that they blessed them, they're talking about the, the promises that Abraham had received and they still hoped in those promises and believed in those promises and so they passed those promises on to the next generation. You see, faith always has a forward-looking aspect to it. It still awaits more. And then finally, we have the testimony of Joseph who spoke of the exodus and of his bones. Now you remember the story, right? Joseph was sold into slavery, gets himself, he's, he finds himself in, in Egypt, becomes uh, second to Pharaoh, leader of Egypt. The famine happens, Jacob and his sons come down to Egypt. And then at the end of his life, Joseph is about to die there in Egypt but he still remembers God's promise and he says, in the future, we, we are not staying here in Egypt. In the future, God will deliver us and take us back to the promised land. And when that happens, he says, take my bones with you. I don't want my bones to be buried in a place that is not the promised land. God will do this when it happens. Remember my bones. And we read, in Exodus, that Moses took the bones of Joseph with him 
And then in Joshua, it says, the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the promised land. God is faithful. True faith awaits for something more. It looks forward to the fullness of God's promises. One day we will be with him forever. Some of you may know the, uh, the gospel band in the 80s, Journey. <laughs> okay, they, they weren't really a gospel band, but they did sing about faith and belief, right? You know the song? Don't stop believing. They got it partially right, at least. It's the second half that they failed. Hold on to the feeling, no. It's hold on to God's promises. Hold on to that feeling, that's, that's blind faith. That's not gonna get you very far. Hold on to God's promises. You see, we don't believe that when this life is over, it's the end. We affirm that God has been preparing a place for us. We affirm that we will live with him forever. And we affirm that all of God's promises will come to pass even if not in our lifetimes. And so we trust in God's word and his promises. And in, in light of that, we obey God because we know who he is, that he is faithful and good. And while we do that, we still await the fullness of his promises, that someday we will be with him forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have a great Savior who went before us, who endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne on high. Father, we thank you that we have a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, encouraging us, pointing us to the Savior. So, Father, give us faith to believe in your promises and help us to show and to Demonstrate that faith by living obediently, by trusting in you. Father, as we await the fullness of your promises that we have in Jesus Christ, we thank you for the resurrection that gives us hope that you will deliver on all of, our, all of your, your promises to us. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's declare the song that we learned.